I was in the legislature for 10 years. Where we are today compared to where we were 10 years ago is unfathomable. People are leaving because the policies of California are impacting them. Do they think about that? Every time you think, well, they're done with the really outrageous bills, another one comes along and it gets passed and it gets through. But the average Californian, they don't care. They're not paying attention to that. My guest today is Melissa Melendez, former California State Senator. Today, she'll talk about what has changed in California's legislature over the past decade and why California policymakers are not open to new ideas. And now they're boxed into a corner because now they can't quite get out of it. Because if they do, if they change how they're dealing with these issues, they have to admit that they were wrong. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Melissa, it's great to have you back on. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and, and talk about all things California today. Yeah, we want to talk to you about what's going on in California legislature. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of laws that are going through. Um, I feel like we're feeling the impacts of the laws of five, ten years ago. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I will tell you when I, you know, I was in the legislature for 10 years and I saw a dramatic shift from the time I started until the time I left, which was just this past November when I retired. In the beginning, um, you know, legislators from both parties worked together. I mean, we had our differences, no doubt about that. But we worked together. There were many times when we were, you know, co-authoring one another's bills. I certainly had Democrats on some of my bills and vice versa. And if we found an issue that we agreed on, we were able to work together. Fast so forward. So you're Republicans, you were easily yep. getting along with Democrats, even though at that time the majority was Democrats. It was still, yes, when I got into the legislature, Democrats had a supermajority. The year I got they elected, they still had supermajority. They did. Okay. They did. Um, two years later, we took the supermajority away from them. They still had a majority, um, and then a few years later, they got the supermajority back. So it's all my entire time there has always been where Democrats have largely had a supermajority. But even still, we had the opportunity to work together, um, and again, you know, on the issues that we agreed on, that we could find common ground. But now, I mean, I will tell you, there, it's like a war zone up there and there's very very little interest in working across the aisle w from the democrat perspective it is you know bulldozing their way through the legislature and bills usually get through committee it's very rare that a bill gets killed in committee because what happens is they don't want to kill one another's bills so because they have bills coming up perhaps in that person's committee so if you and i are democrats and you're on the committee uh, let's say public safety and I bring my bill forward and you don't like my bill and you grill me on my bill during the committee hearing and you very clearly state you're not really happy with my bill, you're still gonna vote for it. You're gonna put it through, why? Because next week you have a bill coming through my committee and you don't want me to kill your bill, especially if I'm the chair of that committee. So they just push everything through and say, Governor, you deal with it. And that has been a problem because he's unpredictable, you don't know what he's going to sign and what he isn't going to sign. And that mostly depends on politics, you know, which way the wind is blowing that day. So it's very risky. I've seen so many bills get through committee hearings and get to his desk that I never in a million years thought would make it to him. And they certainly wouldn't have made it to him 10 years ago. Can you give us some examples of these bills? Well, for instance, some of the bills we're seeing today, like the, um, the bill to allow to turn California essentially into a transgender child sanctuary state. 
10 years ago, that bill would have never gotten through. Whereas now, this bill, which says if you live in Florida, or you and I, let's say you and I live in Florida, and we have a child um, who says he's transgender, he wants to be a girl. You say, oh, that's a great idea. Yes, I'll help you do that. I say, absolutely not. You're young. You will outgrow this. You can bring that child to California without my permission as the mother and the state of California will protect that child. They will go as far as making that child a ward of the state so that I, as the mother, can't use legal means to come in and, and get my child back because there's not agreement between the parents of you know, the mental health treatment of this child. So, so a bill like that got through. 10 years ago, that bill would have not gotten through. It would have gotten votes for sure, but it would have never gotten through the legislature. It has become vastly more extreme or progressive, you know, as they like to term it. But it is very, it is wildly different than it was 10 years ago. What else? Are there any other examples that you've seen that you wouldn't see 10 years ago? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, there's, there's bills about, um, you know, energy use and drilling. There are bills about taxes and increasing fees. I mean, they have a bill now that wants to increase taxes on people who drive SUVs. That's a lot of people in California who drive an SUV and not necessarily a brand new SUV, but you know, some of us have large families. I have five children, so I'm not gonna be driving in a little sedan. And there are a lot of people in California who, you know, a, a, an average size car doesn't work for them. So they have an SUV style of car. The legislature now has introduced a bill that says they wanna add an extra tax onto the people who drive SUVs. Now, what are they going to do with that money? nobody knows but that's the kind of thing that you know, it's just it's every time you think well they're done with the really outrageous bills another one comes along and it gets passed and it gets through and then you have to wonder will the governor sign it or not and then there's wheeling and dealing behind the scenes as you know because even though Gavin Newsom says he's not going to run for president I don't believe that for a second. At some point, he is going to run. And so he's trying to build his coalitions now, his alliances, and that comes at a cost from those in the legislature. If you want your bills signed, if you want some help, then there's a bit of, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. This episode is sponsored by Midas Gold Group. Saudi Arabia has said they are open to accepting currencies for oil other than the dollar. Kissinger set up a petrol business agreement with the Saudis in the 1970s, enshrining the US dollar as the world's reserve currency. This could be shattered. The grave consequences would be felt by every American. The Fed and politicians have abused the management of our monetary and fiscal policy. They have thrown an anchor on Americans with over $200 trillion in debt. That includes old entitlements. We also have the BRICS countries forming an alliance to control commodities we need. Would they give them up for devalued dollars? Will they back their currencies with commodities while we back with nothing? Is this the de-dollarization by many countries in the world that could destroy our currency? Now is no time to play games with your portfolio, which aside from your house is paper. Better trade some of that in for precious metals at veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. Call 855-322-GOLD. That's 855-322-4653. There's still time to get a gold IRA from the number one veteran-owned gold IRA dealer in the country. 
Midas Gold Group. Midas Gold Group, your vault of confidence. Now let's go back to the interview. What do you get from getting these bills signed as, as a <laughs> legislature? Well, I personally... Or, I mean, or in general, like what would legislature get out of it? Because it seems like people are willing to compromise on their, yeah. to get their own laws passed. Right. There's well, a price to pay for that. You have to remember we're talking about politicians. <laughs> okay, so bear that in mind when we're having this conversation because mostly what happens is a politician, they, they think that their constituents uh, judge their success their efficacy as a legislator by how many bills that they get passed. Now I will tell you, most constituents, they don't care how many bills you get passed. They care about the bills that are passed, whether they're yours or not, and how it affects their lives. But the average Californian, you know, you could tell them, oh, I got 14 bills passed this year, and they would say, big deal. They, they don't care, they're not paying attention to that. They wanna know how it affects them. But for legislators, those who have gotten sucked into this mindset of, uh, I have to show that I'm working for the people, and the way I show that is by how many bills I get passed. That's what they latch on to. So for them, that is the be-all, end-all. I have to get all my bills signed and passed, and I will do anything in order to get that done. And do you get a lot of press from, like, the more extreme the, the bills are, like if, mm. you, if you say, I want to give housing to everyone, or mm -hmm. if you want to say, I want to solve this huge problem. Right. Do you y get a lot of <laughs> press? And does oh, yeah. That yeah, you get a lot of attention, that's for sure. And sometimes that's why it's done. You know, they want to get attention. Maybe it's because they're in a district where uh, they know they're going to be challenged by someone within their own party who thinks that they're not far enough to the left. Um, so they're trying to prop themselves up as, no, I'm really the most progressive candidate you know, for this position and you should reelect me. I mean, there's a whole host of things that go into this, but, but a lot of times what happens is they will get bills passed, they will go out into their communities, um, they will hold a press conference, they will beat their chest and say, look how great I am, look what I did for all of California. But later on, that bill will get challenged in court and we've seen that many, many times just in my short time there. That bill gets challenged in court, it gets tossed out, but guess what? The legislator that ran that bill, they're gone. They're not in office anymore because of term limits. So they suffer no consequences. They don't have to answer for it. And frankly, nobody really remembers their name, you know, the person who got the bill through. They do remember what the policy was. Meanwhile, the taxpayers are the ones who are paying for the lawsuit. They're the ones that have to pay for the attorneys and everything else that goes along with it. So it's it's disingenuous, you know, at times, some of these bills, because they know the bill is going to get challenged in court, or they know that the bill is not going to be signed by the governor, but that's not the point of the bill. The point of the bill oftentimes is to be able to say, look what I'm doing. It will get your name out. Mm -hmm. And then if you get passed, mm -hmm. so we just had a documentary about why mm -hmm. people are leaving California. And if you get passed and it's a bad law, because mm -hmm. we, we, re we recognize that a lot of the, the people are leaving because the policies of California are impacting them. Do they think about that, <laughs> that businesses are leaving, people are leaving? They, I, listen, <laughs> we have had this conversation so many times on the floor of the Senate and also when I was in the Assembly. And we would stand up and say, here's what's going to happen. Here are the consequences if you pass this bill and it's always dismissed out of hand. They just, 
they don't care. I don't know if it's because they don't believe it, if they think we're being hyperbolic when we're saying these things are going to happen. I really don't know. I just know that their number one goal is to get that bill passed. And sometimes, oftentimes I should say, the more pushback there is from the right, the more they want to get that bill passed because now they have something to prove. And, and they get through every single time. I, it is rare that a bill gets killed in committee. It is even more rare that a bill gets killed on the floor of the Senate or the Assembly. And the committee, you mentioned mm -hmm. the committee leaders have a lot of power. Can you explain what's going oh, yes. on now? Well, a few years ago, they changed the rules to say that any committee chairman or chairwoman, they can decide if you bring a bill, you know, you present a bill to be heard in the, um, you know, Water, Parks and Wildlife Committee. I, as the chairwoman, I can say, I'm not going to set your bill for a hearing. Your bill will never be heard and there is nothing you can do about it. They've given the chairs that authority. Now they do that sometimes, rarely, but sometimes they'll do it with a Democrat bill. Usually that's a bill that's way too controversial, that, that causes problems within their own party, and so they don't want to touch it. So generally leadership will say, do not hear that bill. And, and then the chair will say, okay, we're not going to set that bill for a hearing. Mostly it's Republican bills, but I, you know, to be fair, occasionally it is Democrat bills. But it used to be every bill got a hearing. Every bill had its, its day in the committee and pass or fail, it still had a hearing and it was still debated. That is not the case anymore. So only a few people are controlling what mm -hmm. laws are? Yes, that is correct. The, so being a chair of a committee is a very powerful position because now you have control over what bills will ever see the light of day. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a slog to get a bill through a committee sometimes, but you have to get it through that committee. Sometimes there's another committee it has to get through. Then it has to go to the floor for a full vote. Then it has to go to the other house and go through the same process again. It is a long process, it's not an easy process, and a lot of bills never even get the chance to get to step one in that process. Now when we had Senator Umberg, Tom Umberg on, he had this law that he proposed that I think you proposed back in the day. Yes, Alexandra's Law, yes. That's about punishing the drug dealers Correct. that are dealing fentanyl, giving them <laughs> one warning and yep. then punishing them if they end up killing someone right. with their dealing, with right. their drug dealing. He was, he's in the Public Safety Committee, mm -hmm. and he, he's a Democrat. Mm -hmm. He introduces this, this uh, potential law, and then it, it gets, gets killed. <laughs> it gets killed. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, wh what about 10 years ago? Was it like this? It's something? It's hard for me to say if 10 years ago they would have let a bill like that through. I don't know. I just remember, you know, when I introduced the bill twice, when I was in the Public Safety Committee in the Senate, um, one of the senators, Senator Weiner, said, well, you, it's not just fentanyl that you have in this bill. There are some other drugs in here that are also addressed, and that's, that's an issue for me. And so I said, okay, I will commit to you. We'll, we'll amend the bill right here in this committee hearing. We'll take every other drug out, and we'll only leave fentanyl in there. Will you then support it? And he said, no, there are other problems with the bill. So they had no intention of passing the bill. Senator Umberg introduced my bill this year and it suffered the same fate. The only difference is as a courtesy, his fellow Democrat legislators, instead of voting against his bill, they just abstained from voting. So that's a courtesy, you know, intra-party type of courtesy, but the bill still failed. And 
the chairman of the Assembly Public Safety Committee said, we will hear no more bills relating to fentanyl because it's getting too controversial. You remember earlier when I said sometimes they won't hear bills because it causes a rift within their own party or it garners too much media attention in a negative way and they don't want that. So that's why they're saying no more fentanyl bills because this is causing too much of an uproar because it's getting national attention So people now. want the bills mm -hmm. to sign, mm -hmm. but, but they want the laws, but they don't want to do the laws, so they're putting them aside. They don't want to hear about it. Correct. Correct. It's fentanyl, it, you know, that issue in itself is such a huge problem across this country and it is getting a lot of national attention and Democrats are now starting to feel the heat on that issue so we're seeing them shift how they talk about it now which is fascinating to me because last year they didn't think you know they didn't even want to talk about fentanyl it was it was just not an issue that we needed to address now they're changing their tune and talking about how dangerous it is and we have to get up our streets and so I'm seeing a shift however the problem for them is they have taken this stance that they do not want to increase penalties for any crimes in California. So now they're in a bind because they're acknowledging that fentanyl, dealing fentanyl, people are dying from this. This has become a real issue, but they can't really do anything about it because they've made this commitment that they're not going to put people behind bars. Now, we are a very innovative state. You know, <laughs> we're not uh, that invent what it takes for innovation is having a lot of different ideas. Mm -hmm and constantly changing what you do. You know, you do this, it doesn't work, you pivot, Try you do something, something else. Right. And why is that state leaders, why are <laughs> they stuck on, but why are they stuck on this path that <sighs> it doesn't look great? We are seeing uh, some of the statistics might not be showing it, but mm -hmm. we are seeing crime that we would never see in California. Again, it goes back to this stance that they took several years ago of emptying the prisons. I mean, they, you know, this started with the whole defund the police movement, which was just a few years ago. And then, but, but even in my time in the legislature, you know, they've been talking about this decarceration effort. And they would like to close down prisons in the state of California. And then the governor, of course, put a moratorium on the death penalty, even though voters very clearly stated that they, they wanted that to stay in place. It was on the ballot. Voters made it clear how they felt. And Governor Newsom said, well, voters, I don't care how you feel, I'm gonna do what I want. So it's this really strident position that they've taken on public safety, and now they're boxed into a corner because now they can't quite get out of it. Because if they do, if they change how they're dealing with these issues, they have to admit that they were wrong. And it is a What's the rare big deal about that? <laughs> you know, that's, I, just, that's how. Well, I know, we're humans, we're fallible, we make mistakes. Sometimes, you know, like you said, you try something and you figure out, that was a bad idea. That just doesn't work. But it is like uh, a religion of sorts, you know, to say this is our stance on public safety, this is our stance on crime and punishment, and we will not waver from that. What about the people that are more in the middle in, in, mm -hmm. the, Demo in uh, the Democratic Party? Yeah. People like Senator Umber mm -hmm. that are actually proposing these kind of laws. We had him mm -hmm. on the show, and He's looking at this, he's saying, okay, this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. the, these dealers are killing people. There's also other Democrats that have come on the show that have told us, look, this, the, cr the crime is, uh, this is not acceptable, what we're doing, uh, and homelessness. Mm -hmm. What do, do you think their say is in this public <laughs> safety committee? How is that the public safety committee is not listening to these? Well, uh, okay, I will share with you. Um, when I first got to the legislature, 
and it still exists now, there was what's called the Mod Dem Caucus, the Moderate Democrats. They had their own caucus. Okay, you have the um, the Black Caucus, the um, the LGBT Caucus, the Women's Caucus, all these different caucuses. So the Mod Dem Caucus was very powerful when I first got to Sacramento. In fact, many times the Mod Dem Caucus and the Republicans would join forces to kill bills. And we were very effective at doing so. Now, not every bill, they were still Democrats, you know, but when it came to issues of public safety, when it came to issues that were not business friendly, many times we were able to unite. And it was a strong caucus. It was led by former Assemblyman Henry Perea, and he ran a tight ship. Every, you know, they were organized. Then Henry Perea resigned um, from the legislature. He went and took a job in the private sector. And that's kind of when the wheels fell off the bus of the Mod Dem caucus. So their caucus got smaller and smaller because the progressives in, within the Democrat caucus started pushing them out, started funding their opponents um, in their re-election races to get the moderate Democrats out and bring the progressives in. And I've seen that many, many times. Many a moderate Democrat has been tossed from office, not because Republicans voted them out of office, because their own party members launched an effort against them to get them out and bring in their own progressive member. So now what we have is a very small, weak Mod Dem caucus that, that doesn't have the muscle that they used to have to stop some of these bills. And they could even get canceled by their own party, essentially. Exactly. Is that how? Exactly. I mean, even think about this. Just a few years ago, that whole issue of single-payer health care, you know, the universal health care in California, which there was this big push for, right, and there was rallies and protests and everything. The Nurses Union launched an effort against Speaker Rendon. <laughs> the Democrat Speaker, the Nurses Union, went after him hard. I don't mean a little criticism. I mean, they went after him big time. That is unheard of. Now, they failed because he said, we are not going to hear this bill. We are not going to be setting this policy. And he, stu he stood his ground to his credit. I mean, I'm glad because it's terrible policy, but I'm also glad that, you know, on principle, he stood his ground and didn't back down because the moment you do that, you open the door and they will tell you everything exactly. which is essentially the mm -hmm. donors are telling politicians what to do and this is a different kind of donor exactly. with unlimited money right do yeah, they have a lot right. of money oh yes they have plenty of money and it's you know these unions they don't j they get other unions to join them it's never just one union taking a stance they're smart they know form a coalition so we get SEIU to join us we get this labor union to join us and that labor union and the firefighters and you know everyone else so now you're a big mob that comes forward and says, if you don't pass this bill, we're coming after you. And they do go after them. They, they absolutely do. So essentially, that small group of donors, mm -hmm. that is a few unions that have a lot of money, are controlling our leaders in Sacramento. Is that, is that fair to say? I have been in committee hearings where I have seen union leaders standing at the back of the hearing room, nodding their head, yes or no, to the members sitting on that dais when it came time to vote. And that is no joke. Now, did you ever think this will, California will become like this? <laughs> you grew uh, up here, right? Or I, no, no, I actually grew up in Ohio, but we've lived here for decades now. But I didn't, when I first got to the legislature, I knew what I was getting into. I, you know, I knew, but I just didn't realize it would get so much worse in just 10 years' time. 
I, where we are today compared to where we were 10 years ago is unfathomable to me. If you had told me this 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed it. The number of things that the legislature is contemplating and the way in which they have cut the public out. I mean, COVID was one thing. You had to put some safety measures into place. I still disagree with many of those that they put into place and the length of time that they put them in place. But the problem is they hung on to those rules for far too long. So if you wanted to come to a hearing to testify, good luck. Most of the time you had to call in and then we always had phone line issues so you couldn't hear someone, they got kicked out of the queue. It was a nightmare for people trying to test and have their voice heard. And then you would come, they would limit testimony. So, you know, usually, for instance, when we had the, vac the mandatory vaccine bill five, six years ago, um, not the COVID one, the, the one before, for all school children. The, pub, the, the health committee hearing went on for hours, I mean, into the night. But everybody who wanted to be heard was heard. They stood in line for a very long time, but they had their chance at the microphone. And they had a couple of minutes? Or they, well, they basically could come forward after you have your two, uh, you get two people who can testify in support, two people who can testify in opposition. They each get like two minutes. Everybody after that just gets to come forward and say, my name is Melissa Melendez. I represent all the moms in California and I oppose this bill. That's all you get to say. Thousands of people stood in line just to do that. Well, now fast forward and they limit, they say, well, this committee hearing for the public uh, testimony portion, we're only allowing 20 minutes. Wow. So if you, you know, if you get to the 20 minute mark and you've been there, maybe you took the trip to California, maybe you live in Los Angeles and you took the, the drive up there or got on a plane. Well, guess what? If you get to the 20 minute mark and they didn't get to you, too bad. So it's, it's really terrible how they've cut the public out. And yes, sometimes, you know, people come and say things that you don't really want to hear or they aren't very nice. Too bad, that's your job to listen. Your job is to listen and contemplate what they're saying. Some, sometimes people aren't as kind, <laughs> maybe, you know, but they're angry, you know, so hear them out. That's my feeling. I'd, it's, you know, you need to have thick skin when you're in this business and, and you need to understand that we are the rep, were, I'm not anymore, but you know, we are the representatives. You don't become king or queen when you get elected into office, which is how many of them act. It's, it's as though, well, I'm in charge now. So everybody step aside and you're gonna have to do what I say. That is not our form of government. Now, what do you think, Melissa, would be the solution to all this? How do you think, uh, can we go back to a place where the, the legislature and the government is representing the people? Not a few donors. Right, yeah. Whether it's on the right or on the left, but right. here the left has a lot more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, what it's going to take is for California voters to change how they're voting. I mean, it is the people's government, and the only way the people's government changes how they do business is if the people make them do that. No law, you know, that we pass is going to change how people vote, and that's what's going to have to happen is where Californians get to the point where they say, I, I just can't do this anymore. I can't take this anymore. I've got to change my way of thinking. That's what it's going to take. You know, in 1911, the governor of California, Hiram Johnson, he said, I'm going to give the people of California more control, more power. And so he is the reason why we have the initiative process in California, where you, as an average citizen, if you want to get something on the ballot, you can do that. It's a lot of work, 
but you could do it. That's what he gave to the people of California, except now it's morphed into something that's Corporations are using it. Yeah, it's a monster. Different people right. are using it, and then they make exactly. it. They put some crazy things in mm -hmm. there, and you vote for them, and you don't know what. Exactly, and the state attorney general is the body that that writes the title of the ballot measure and the summary, basically the description of it. So we've had many an issue with that in in you know decades past where. You want to bring a, uh, an initiative forward that has to do with um, relieving the tax burden on Californians. And then the state attorney general writes it in a way that it makes voters think that it's a bad thing. You know, they'll change it and say, well, it's, uh, it, instead of saying it's a, it's a tax relief measure, it will say it's going to strip money from schools. It's going to take away money from repairing our roads. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. So it has nobody would want to vote for that, <laughs> right? So it's this system, you know, being gamed that was designed to give power back to the people, but now it's, you know, of course, been taken advantage of. So the answer is that the people of California have to get fed up enough to say, nope, we're going to do things differently. Do you think that's going to happen? I do. I don't know when. I hope I'm alive when it <laughs> happens. Um, but I think, you know, there are a lot of people leaving California. I'm anxious to see the documentary because I know you've talked to many people about that. And we lost a congressional seat because of it. I mean, that many people were fed up with California that they said, I'm out of here. I'm going to Florida or Tennessee or Kentucky or Utah or Minnesota. You would leave the beautiful weather, the beautiful topography, the oceans, the mountains, everything we have to offer in California. People were willing to leave that behind for a place that offers none of those things, but offered some freedom and offered them the opportunity to keep some extra money in their pocket and not soak them every time they went to fill up their gas tank or register their car or pay their taxes. So hopefully Californians, instead of just moving to another state, the ones who stay, I hope that they vote um, in a manner that reflects how they want, how, what they want California to look like. Now, why are you being vocal about this? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, we raise our family here. You know, we have five children, all of whom I want to be able to one day afford to buy their own home. But if you look at the home prices now, my goodness, what 22-year-old, 24-year-old can afford a home in California? I mean, the average home price, the last I checked, was $850,000, the median price. Who can afford that? Grown adults can't afford that. So I want to see California be the place that it was when I was a kid. I remember taking a vacation in California when I was a very, very young child. We had family out here. And I mean, my friends were so jealous. Oh, you're going to California. You know, it was just this magical place. And people wanted to come here, and it was exciting. And now we have the reverse, or people, they go, oh, you're from California. And they move away. And even when the people who move from here to Tennessee or Oklahoma or wherever, <laughs> they're finding it's a bit of a hostile environment for them when people see their California license plates. And why is that? because the people in their new state are saying, don't you come here and try to turn our state into what you left behind. There's a reason you left. Don't come here and do the same things. When we were making the documentary, we mm -hmm. actually realized that a lot of the problems we have in California is caused by our policies, mm -hmm. our state policies. Is this fixable? If tomorrow the state legislature decided to solve these problems that people are having, mm -hmm. can they do it? 
Absolutely. I've never seen a problem that the legislature says they can't fix other than the fentanyl issue, which is one they just won't fix. So the homelessness issue, okay, look, we've got, we've got some mental health issues out there and we've got some drug addiction issues out there. We can most certainly fix that. Can't fix everybody, obviously, but we can do things so that people can get the help that they need for the prolonged period of time that they would need it. We can provide resources so that people can get the training they need so they can get back on their feet and get a job and not have to rely on the government. With the fentanyl and the drug issue, well, okay, first, part of that is the federal government's job with closing the border, but the other part is how about reversing some of these laws that California has written into statute that make it easier for people to sell drugs and make it easier for people like to Pop distribute Like Prop 47 them. and those Right, ones. exactly. I mean, there are things, just because we put something into place in, you know, 1983, doesn't mean that today we can't say, well, you know what, that's not a good policy anymore. That's that's really the role of legislators is to be able to discern to go back and look right. at what did we do and which ones work which ones exactly. didn't work exactly exactly that's that's what we're sent there to do not just take up space and not do press conferences where you know we're trying to get sound bites on different media outlets it's you're supposed to actually work melissa <laughs> melendez former california state senator it was great to have you on california insider thank you anytime thank you so much If you like the show and our content, you should go to InsiderCA.com and sign up to our newsletter because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at CAinsider at EpochTimesCA.com. Again, it's CAinsider at EpochTimesCA.com. We would love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California. Thank you for watching.